And Lord, as we turn our attention to your word to us today, we pray that you would split a ravine in our souls and that you would cause there to be an openness and a desire to hear from your spirit speaking through your eternal and living word to us today. And that, Lord, that seed would find a home in each of our hearts and begin to germinate and grow and ultimately bear fruit for the glory of your name. So come and have your way in our midst in this hour, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. It's so good to be back with you after three weeks of being away from this pulpit. It seems like much longer uh, but had a delightful time in the Dominican Republic with our son, Justin, who is serving there as a missionary teacher, uh, returned a week ago Friday and uh, had a wonderful week's experience with him. On uh, May 31st weekend, uh, we had the joy of participating in and being with our uh, dear niece as she was married and had a lovely day with family and friends in that day of celebration and so appreciated the ministry of Dr. John Guest, who was our pulpit guest on that day. I know you enjoyed him. Uh, he is a blessing indeed. I've known John for many, many years. Got to know John when I did my evangelism explosion training at St. Stephen's in Sewickley, where John was the senior rector, and uh, just enjoyed his leadership there and have kept tabs on him over the years and was delighted when we learned that he would accept an invitation to come. I know you enjoyed him. I loved his message listening to it online. I've always contended that if one could buy an English accent, that you could increase your congregation at least a hundredfold. They haven't started to market British accents yet, but when they do, I'm going to buy one no matter the cost. Then on the first Sunday in June, Pastor Keith and our youth blessed us so with a wonderful day of ministry. I know your hearts are made glad when you see the wonderful work that God is doing in the lives of our young people. There is a revival going on in our youth group. And the fire of the Spirit is burning brightly in their lives. And we rejoice at the good and new thing that God is doing in their midst. What a tremendous summer for Maya to be here to work with our youth this summer. And then last week, my dear brother and friend, Vanda Stefano, set up this summer series so well in introducing the first parable, the parable of the wheat and tares, and kind of helped us to understand what all of this parabolic literature in the gospel is about. And so uh, I thought he did a splendid job in, in setting that up and know you were blessed by it. Today we're going to be looking at yet another parable. We're going to be looking at the very familiar parable of the parable of the soils. And it appears in three of the uh, Gospels. I would encourage you to turn to it as it's recorded in Mark chapter 4. Dave read it a few moments ago. I'll not take time to read the parable again, uh, but it would be helpful if either with your own Bible or the Pew Bible open on your lap, that you have it there and be able to refer to it as we move through today's message. Mark chapter 4, verses 1 through 9, the parable of the sower, or as sometimes is referred to, the parable of the soil. My grandmother was a fantastic storyteller. My grandmother is now home with the Lord in heaven, and her storytelling ability 
was only one of the reasons that I loved her so very much. Grandma Hubin could spin a yarn like nobody's business. I recall as a little boy uh, when I had the opportunity to be at my grandparents' home, which was often. I recall particularly in the summertime when school was out and spending extended days with my grandparents on their farm. I recall sitting quietly on their front porch on a warm summer's night, listening as one story after another was told by my grandmother Hooban. I was hoping against hope that she would not remember that it was past my bedtime because I wanted to hear just one more story. Sometimes the stories she told were funny and they made me laugh and giggle. Sometimes the stories she told uh, tugged at my heartstrings and made me cry. There was one story that she was just famous for, the story of Clara Hall, a poor little girl who had nothing, and how somebody took pity and mercy on Clara Hall and bought her a doll for Christmas. And it was a fantastic story that made me cry. I heard it hundreds of times during my childhood, and every time she told it, the same reaction. It's the same reaction I have at the end of the movie Rudy or Mr. Holland's Opus. I just kind of burst. My family knows when we come to the end of Rudy, Dad's going to cry, you know. <laughs> oh, that's the way Mom, the grandma's story, uh, the effect it had on me. Sometimes the stories she told were, were personal stories. They weren't fictional. They were true, true to life. They were stories that came from her experiences in the Great Depression with my grandfather in their early married years and the hardships that they endured together as a newly married couple. Sometimes the stories that she told were about uh, uh, the, the, the growing up years of my mom and her three brothers, and, and I loved hearing those stories and learning more of their history. Frequently, the stories she told had wonderful twists and turns, and, and she always was able to bring a story, kind of cinch the sack and bring a story to a wonderful conclusion and make everything turn out all right, and it was, a, it was just a wonderful thing. Some of the stories she told were so very familiar to me because I'd heard them so many times that there was really no need for her to finish them. I could finish them for her. But as I look back on that now as, as a man in my mid-50s, and I think about those powerful summer evenings and the comfort of those summer evenings and the familiarity of those stories that I heard again and again, I realize how much those family stories contributed to who I am today. I am much richer because not only did I hear the stories, but I was able to enter into the stories. And in fact, some of the stories I was a part of. And so it made them all the more special. I think my grandmother was actually very intentional about telling those stories over and over again. She knew what she was doing. She didn't pass, the, she didn't go in school beyond the sixth grade, but she was a sharp old cookie. And she knew what she was doing because she knew that I needed to hear those family stories because later in life, I would need those stories. She knew that I would encounter in my life's journey, that I would encounter some hardships and some trials and some trouble. And she told me stories from her own experience 
about God's faithfulness and about His mercy and about His grace because she knew that there would come times in my journey throughout life when I would need to rely on a witness who told the story of a faithful God whose mercies were new every morning and who was always there. And when I look back on those stories, I am indeed grateful. And I feel a little bit when I think about those family stories, because they're part of the library of stories in my life, I think a little bit like a jeweler, because when I think about those stories, I hold them up and I see one facet of the story, but when I twist it and turn it, I see a different message that comes to the story. Sometimes the story is speaking to my life about the importance of family and family connections and love. And then I twist it a little bit. And then I see that the story is really more about the faithfulness of God. And then I twist the story a little bit further. And, and I see that it, 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 there's a profound spiritual lesson in it that I need to be aware of. And so those stories come at me in my life. They come at me from all different perspectives. And they have made me stronger as a follower of Christ. It seems to me that there's something like that in the stories of Jesus. These parables that we're looking at over the summer months. These parables are family stories. If you're part of the family of God, these are your stories. These stories are in your library of faith. They are stories in which you are called and invited to, to enter in and, and to engage in the story and to be a part of the story. They are family stories. And they're not just illustrations to make a point in Jesus' preaching and teaching ministry. They are Jesus' theology. They are told in the ancient Semitic tradition of storytelling, taking a common, material, ordinary thing in life and extracting and stretching from it and making it something that is uncommon and extra, extraordinary and very spiritual. And if you take time to, to sit before these stories and listen to them on the warm porch of your life, all of a sudden you'll begin to see a new facet in that story that you've never seen before. And it'll open up a new truth that you've never thought of before. My greatest fear in doing this series this summer is that the parables of Jesus have become so familiar to so many that we'll just kind of brush them aside and not really enter into them with fresh eyes and an open spirit. And so my prayer has been, as I've prepared over these last months uh, for this series of messages, seven and all that I'll be teaching during this series, is that every time we come to another one of Jesus' stories, that we'll see it and we'll hear it as if for the first time and let the profundity of Jesus' teaching rush in and run out of these great stories. And as Jesus says in this particular parable today, that we will have ears to hear and will sit and will listen with our heart. So Jesus starts one of these family stories and he says, A farmer went out to sow his seed. I know to us that seems like a quaint idea. In our culture today, in this postmodern contemporary world, 
Only those of us who have an interest in gardening and have a green thumb really think much about seed and garden plots and growing and fruit and vegetables. But this was a very familiar, very common, very ordinary picture. Someone has said that parables are earthly stories with heavenly meaning. Uh, I like that. I don't think it's complete enough, but it's, it's a good way of thinking of it. So Jesus takes this very common, ordinary thing to his listeners and talks about a farmer who goes out to plant seed. Now, most likely at the very moment that Jesus is teaching there by the Sea of Galilee, and there were large crowds, the Bible says, so large that it was necessary for the disciples to take him out in a boat. Very interesting. Uh, When we visited the Holy Land in the late 90s, actually there in the Sea of Galilee, the the way that the uh, topography is developed there, that there actually is uh, almost an amphitheater effect around the Sea of Galilee, so that if a speaker were to stand out in a boat speaking toward the hillside, which is exactly the setting of this particular parable, that there would be a microphone effect to it. That there was no need for this elaborate sound system that we have today, that Jesus would have been heard very clearly as He spoke this word, to the people who were up there on the hillside. And undoubtedly, I have to believe that as he's telling the story about the farmer who went out to sow his seed, that there must have been, there just had to be farmers who were up on that hillside who weren't in the crowd, in the audience, but they were sowing seed or they were cultivating the land or or they were, were making furrows in the ground. And Jesus saw them and the crowd saw them. And so he took this very common thing and he stretched it and he made something profound out of it. He took something that was ordinary that they understood in their life and he stretched it and he made it something that was extraordinary. He took something that they was natural material world and he stretched it and he made it something with a spiritual application. And so he starts with this very simple idea in this family story, and he says, a farmer went out to sow his seed. A farmer whose responsibility was to sow seed in his plowed field went out to do just that. Now, we can assume that the rows had already been furrowed. They'd been plowed and prepared to receive the seed. And hanging over the shoulder of this farmer, according to the tradition of the day, would have been a leather pouch in which there was vested this this precious seed. And the farmer would have reached in with his skilled hand, and he would have taken a handful of seed, and he would, as the term we use today, he would broadcast it over the field. And he knew just how large a step he should take as he walked among the furrows. And as he went, broadcasting the seed, knowing just how much seed to take and how far to spread it. And then he would come to the end of the furrow and he would go down the next furrow, broadcasting the seed. And up and down the furrows until his plot of land had been planted with this precious seed. The farmer's objective was to sow the seed, to broadcast it, to get it out. Now, in Jesus' story, 
he says that some of the seed falls on a hard dirt path. Obviously, there were people who came and went and they walked in these garden spots and the places where they walked had become hardened. Actually, they glistened and became slippery with the oil and the sweat of people's feet. And you had to be careful, actually, when you went on some of those uh, places about your footing or you would slip and fall down the terraced incline. And so, in Jesus' story, it says that some of the seed fell on that hard dirt path and the seeds wouldn't even have the opportunity to penetrate the soil and to germinate before the birds got to it and snatched it away. Some of the seed, in Jesus' story, falls by the rock walls. You understand, there were terraces and there were rock walls that separated one garden plot from another. And some of the seed, when the sower went broadcasting his seed, would fall among the rock walls. There was a little bit of soil there, enough for the soil to to begin to germinate and sprout quickly. But because the roots were not deep enough, the, the plant would be scorched in the blazing Palestinian sun and would die. Other seed started okay, but a weed would pop up next to it. It's the bane to a gardener's existence. The weeds. A weed would grow up beside it, and it would choke it out. And the life of the plant was short-lived. But in the fourth kind of soil in Jesus' story, there's good soil, fertile soil, loamy soil probably had lots of uh, animal manure mixed in and compost and, and all the good stuff. I've got several compost piles going in my side yard. I've got one that's fresh compost and one that's in development, and one that's almost ready to be screened out and put on my garden. It's a wonderful thing, and I'm sure that the farmers in that day were using this natural fertilizer to, to fertilize to, to ensure that they had a bountiful crop. And that seed on that fertile soil fell on good ground, brought forth a large harvest of grain. Jesus said so much so that the return was 30-fold, 60-fold, in some cases 100-fold. Now to most of us, that detail slips by. We don't even think about it. Oh, that's nice, 30, 60, 100. Do you know how amazing a harvest that is? If you know anything about agriculture or horticulture, to have a harvest of grain of 30, 60, or 100 is an amazing thing. Average, average would be 10%. Average. So Jesus uses hyperbole here. He goes to the extreme and he says, 30, 60, and in some cases, 100-fold harvest comes from the seed that's planted in good soil. That's the story. And they lived happily ever after. <laughs> the end. Can you imagine if you'd been a part of the crowd that day and you heard that family story? You'd be scratching your head now. What's that supposed to mean? 
the disciples felt the same way because the text tells us that, that when they were alone with Jesus later on, they asked Jesus to explain the parable. Tell us what the meaning of this is. You talk in cryptic terms, Jesus. Help us to understand what in the world you're saying when you tell us this story. And so Jesus, a little bit frustrated with him, says, How in the world, if you don't understand this parable, how will you understand any of my other teaching? In other words, this parable is foundational to understanding the other teaching that he's going to do when he talks about the kingdom, the coming kingdom of God. So Jesus, ever patient and kind, has mercy on his disciples, and he provides an interpretation for them beginning down in verse 13 and following. We didn't read that portion today. And he begins to help the disciples understand how this gospel, which is the seed and the sower, which is God, and the four different soils are like the variety of people upon whom the seed of God's word is planted. And he basically interprets the story this way. And he says, there are some people who don't understand the gospel. They are totally clueless. The pathway of their heart is hardened And there's no way that the seed, the Word of God, can ever penetrate or bury itself into the soil and develop roots so so it's snatched away by the first animal that comes along, in, in the case of Jesus' story, the birds. He goes on and says, but there's a second kind of soil. Some receive the the good news of this coming kingdom with great joy, but the soil of their hearts is rocky. And so the gospel endures in their lives for a moment, a short time, but it doesn't develop the roots that it needs to, and so it is choked out by the scorching sun. Still others, Jesus said, people receive this good news of the coming kingdom of God like thorny patches. They allow the living word to be choked out by the cares of this world, by the lure of wealth, by power and prestige. Or the Word gets choked out by constant neglect of things that are important to actually grow the seed. And then, of course, there's the fourth kind of soil, the good soil. The people who hear the Word, who receive the seed, who understand it under the grace of God, who bear fruit, and come out with a different yield, some 30, some 60, some 100-fold. Now, as a preacher, as a pastor, I take great comfort in Jesus' interpretation of this parable because it, it occurs to me that three out of the four people don't get it. 75% don't get it. That's a humbling thing when you stand behind this sacred desk and think about as you go about broadcasting seed that three out of four may not get it. Or it might grow up quickly and then be choked out by the cares of this world. Or, or it might not develop a root system strong enough to, to really endure the hard times. Three out of four, it doesn't succeed. But when that seed is placed in fertile soil, it comes up with a bountiful harvest. Now this story, I think, of Jesus begs a variety of questions. There probably are 12 different sermons here. Relax, I'm only going to preach one. The most obvious question this text begs is, what kind of soil are you? Hard? 
rocky, thorn-infested, or fertile? How do you respond to the Word of God and to, to the various activities of the Spirit in your life? Do you allow trials and trouble in this world to overwhelm the tender seed that God is casting into your life? Do you pull back when people harass you about being a follower of Jesus Christ? Do you decide that it's not worth being a follower of Jesus because things aren't working out the way you thought they would? This Christian thing, it's much harder. You're not sure that God really cares for you in the way that the Bible says He does. Sometimes you even conclude that God is absolutely powerless and weak, and therefore He's not worthy of your followership. Do you allow the cares of this world your ambitions, your job, your vocation, your desires for success and happiness? Do you allow those things to choke out the messages that God sends through various people and events in our daily lives where God is constantly casting seed into your life? Or are you indeed good soil? You've received the Word of God. You've embraced it. It's in fertile soil. It's sprouting up. It's growing and it's bearing fruit so much so that it's 30, 60, 100 fold return. Can I deviate from where I was going to go and meddle for a minute? As I look out over the rows, I see a variety of plants. I see plants that are really green, seem to be doing very nicely. But upon inspection, I discover that there's not a whole lot of fruit. May I remind us that the object of the Christian life is to bear fruit? Paul spells it out in his letter to the Galatians and says that if you are being conformed to the image of Christ and that the old man is dying and the new man is coming on, then there will be fruit in your life. And this fruit will look like this. It will look like love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and faithfulness and gentleness and self-control. And there will be a bountiful harvest of fruit in your life. Maybe it's time for some of us to get serious about this fruit-bearing and fruit-yielding in our life and not be content with a strong, growing, green plant, but say, is there fruit in my life with God? You know, it seems to me that unlike the situation in nature where the seed and various kinds of soil encounter each other, we do have control over how we receive and respond to the gospel message. The, the hard-heartedness of our heart can be broken up by the Spirit if we'll get ourselves in a place where we surrender ourselves to God and say, God, break up the hardness of my heart. Prepare my heart and allow the seed of Your Word to be planted in this fertile soil. And Lord, will You, will You, by Your mercy and grace, will You allow this seed to not only sprout and put roots down, but will You, O oh God, by Your mercy and grace, cause me to be a fruit-bearing Christian? The person who's represented by the good soil is a person who has spiritual ears and hears. Jesus says, let him who has ears hear me. 
It's listening with your heart. It's coming to God with an openness. It's understanding that the Gospel of God in Jesus Christ calls us and invites us to a deeper life where we dive into the things of God. We're not satisfied with just putting our roots in a shallow little system of rootedness, but rather we want to go deep with God. And it plunges us to go deeper and deeper each and every day. And I believe that God always honors a sincere and surrendered heart that's open to His activity. So that's the story, and that's the interpretation, and that's the sermon. But I want to, before I let you go, I want to twist the diamond just one more time. Because I'm reminded as I enter into this story that there are many seeds that God casts into each of our lives. And all of them are intended by God to land on good soil and provide a bountiful harvest. But as any farmer knows... Some seed, when you broadcast it, is going to fall in places where it will not thrive. But when I look at, at the divine sower broadcasting his seed, I realize that he casts it out there in kind of a, a, a very careless way. He reaches down, God does, and even though he knows there are some hard places in my life, even though he knows there are still some stony places in my heart, it doesn't prevent him from casting seed on my life. He is gracious and merciful, and he continues to keep knocking at my heart's door, and he continues to keep casting seed on my life in the hopes that that seed will find fertile soil, and it will be watered by the Spirit of God, and the rain of heaven will grow, fall down on it, and it will begin to sprout and grow and thrive and bear fruit. And he continues, even though I'm stubborn and rebellious, he continues to throw his seed on my life. As I sit before his word each day, and in my daily quiet time, a seed is planted. As I pray with brothers and sisters, a seed is planted. And then he gives me the precious opportunity of being a sower myself, so that I can go out and I can begin to cast broadcast seed here and there. But I'm reminded that even as a sower myself, that I don't have control over this. I don't save anyone. God is the divine farmer. And when God deals with you and me, He deals with us even more generously than even the best farmer. God allows the seed to land on hard paths stony ground, thickets in our lives in the hope that that soil will sprout and grow. He wants it to grow. In my job as a pastor, I, I get the opportunity to, to experience both the good and the bad. Uh, like yesterday, I get to enjoy a family, a young couple as they're being married and starting off life together and enjoying great love with hopes beaming for the future. And then I get the opposite side of the equation and I get to be with people in some of the worst possible situations. Several years ago, I met a couple who was in one of those horrible situations. He was a heavy drinker. He was very abusive toward his wife, both physically and verbally. I don't need to tell you that religion to this man 
Any talk about Jesus was an absolute, in my opinion, was an absolute waste of time. He was hard-hearted. He was closed. He had no interest whatsoever in the things of God. His wife was just pure angry. She was angry at the world. She was angry at God. She was angry, most of all, with her husband for all the abuse that she had endured. She seemed hopeless, helpless, and totally lost. And in my limited vision and perspective, neither he nor she looked like good soil to me. The cares and concerns of this world were heavy burdens to them both. The plans and aspirations that they had to be successful in their their business, to be super achievers uh, uh, and, and to see their children prosper, all of that seemed to be dashed. To be frank about it, they were at the end of their rope. And I almost gave up on them. But praise be to God, the, the God of mercy and grace, the one who knows us better than we know ourselves. The Spirit of God began to stir deeply in their hearts and lives, and He began to break up the hard soil of their hearts. And praise God, they agreed to get help. He got involved with a 12-step program to become an overcomer with his addiction. The two of them began to see a Christian counselor. And little by little, their lives, I could see it happening little by little, in incremental steps, their lives began to change. The counselor, in one one word, one day in a counseling appointment, told them that what this couple needed in their lives was Jesus Christ and that Jesus was the answer to their problems. And by God's mercy and grace, that one little word, that one little seed, was planted in soil that was prepared in their hearts, and it was watered by the Spirit, and it began to grow. And that seed has yielded a harvest of 30, then 60, and finally a hundredfold. And praise be to Jesus today, those two are now discovering the abundant life that is theirs in Jesus Christ. My point is that the divine sower sows in places that I would not bother with because he knows the potential ground. Somebody came to me after service today and said, that message was just exactly what I needed because I've been praying for my brother for years, praying for his salvation. And do you know in recent months there's some trials and hardship that finally my brother has surrendered his heart to Jesus and he he has experienced the abundance of Jesus. She said, I'm so glad I didn't give up on my brother. God is casting His seed on your life. He's casting it on my life. And He's praying for a harvest in our life. He's flinging it and He lets it lie where it falls. There's no controlling this divine sower. He plants the way He wants to plant. He plants where He wants to plant. He plants what He wants to plant. And all we do is sit by and wait for the harvest. But when this divine sower sows, He ends up with an abundant harvest. 
I love how God doesn't discriminate between good soil and bad soil. He just goes out to sow. He, ex- he accepts the fact that some of the seed will fall on hard places, will be snatched away, some of it will grow quickly, and some of it will wither. I tell you what, I'm so glad He's the sower and I'm not. Because it's so counterintuitive to me. Because I want to I want to control all the factors. I want to make it happen. I'm a type A with strategies and intentionality and all the rest. I want to make it happen and control. Make sure the seed grows. I saw that I saw that in my life this spring. My my dear friend Ken Kelly helped me re, uh, build some raised vegetable beds at, at my place. Uh, my wife calls him my private gardener. We built some lovely raised vegetable beds, and Ken and I kind of set our strategy out. We got some wonderful topsoil. We got some composted horse manure. We got some fertilizer and some, some lime and got all the things and, and put it all together. And then very carefully, I mapped out where I was going to plant everything and mapped out the rows and put the line down, you know, with the two sticks on each end of the row and very carefully made the furrow and very meticulously laid out the tiny little seeds. I tamped it down with light soil and I watered it with miracle grow. And then you know what I had to do? I just had to wait and see. (laughs) And every morning, Kathy calls it my daily inspection, Early in the morning, I walk out with Sadie to the vegetable plot. (laughs) Not today. Next day. Not today. 10, 11, 12, 13 days. I wrote it in my diary. The lettuce sprouted today. (laughs) And then, days later, a bean popped up. And today, if you were to visit my garden, you would see the plants flourishing under the warm sunshine. Sometimes when you broadcast seed and sometimes when God broadcasts seed in our life, all we do is wait and see. Wait and see. We don't make the gospel come to fruition, either in our own lives or in the lives of others. We don't grow the seed. We don't even take to ensure that the seed will fall on good soil. We don't control God's working in the lives of individuals. Listen, when it comes to the spiritual heart, all of the the important jobs in this parable of the sower, all of them are filled. They're filled by the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And there's no room for you. And all we get to do is pray and wait and see. We wait and see. We wait and see. We wait and see what God does. How many times have you heard someone say, wait and see? A friend has an 
an important medical test, and they go through the test, and you ask her, how did it go? And she responds, we'll have to wait and see. Her husband, who's been out of work for many months, comes home from an important job interview, and his wife meets him at the door, and she asks her husband, well, how did the interview go? And he responds, we'll have to wait and see. Parents waiting and seeing what happens with their young children. Adult children waiting to see what happens with their elderly parents who've just been diagnosed with Alzheimer's. The whole world is waiting to see what's going to happen in North Korea and its intention to send a missile toward Hawaii. The whole world is sitting on the edge waiting to see what's going to happen in Iran with all of the political unrest that is going on there. And I tell you what it produces in me. It produces within me when I sit by and wait and see. It produces in me a thankfulness that I'm not on the throne, but that God is. That He's in control. Isn't that wonderful? The future belongs to God. And my hope today in these changing times, my hope is in a Savior who's out there sovereignly, graciously, liberally broadcasting seed. And all we do is just wait and see. This is a perfect story for us today. He who has ears, listen with your heart. And may you pray, Lord, make my heart Good soil. In my devotional reading this week, I came upon words that are so fitting to close this sermon with from Isaiah's prophecy in chapter 55. As the rain and snow come down from heaven and do not return to it without watering the earth and making it bud and flourish, so that it yields seed for the sower and bread for the eater, so is my word, says the Lord my word that goes out from my mouth, it will not return to me empty, but it will accomplish what I desire and achieve the purpose for which I sent it. What a wonderful promise. Is God achieving His purposes in the soil of your heart? Lord, make my heart good soil. Let's pray. Gracious God, we pray today as we enter into this family story about a farmer who went out to sow his seed, that you, by the mystery of your Spirit's action, would hide the seed of your word to us today deep within us, and then again, by your Spirit, you would coax it into life so that out of the soil of our lives you might bring fruit to bear. And that not only would there be blossoms, but there would be fruit in our lives that would bless and nourish. We pray this in the name of Jesus, the divine sower. Amen.